Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. A busy Monday, February 20th. Following a very busy end of last week into the the weekend, a bunch of news regarding Notre Dame's offensive coordinator situation as it relates to uh, Andy Ludwig and now Jared Parker, who was announced today officially met with the media. Actually, was announced at the end of last week, but Jared Parker is Notre Dame's new offensive coordinator. We have a ton of ground to cover. We could probably start about thirty five different places on this, Pete Sampson and. And, and Tim O'Malley. Uh, Tim, let's start with you. I've written about it, talked about it, tweeted about it, much to uh, my chagrin. And uh, why don't you give your perspective on, on on what happened here over the weekend? Yeah, the only thing I haven't done was tweeted about it, and that will continue to be the case. But uh, everything else is, has been broached. Um, it went from I think I think the email Jack Schwarberg sent out made things worse. I would not have sent. I wrote about this in Irish Illustrated. I would not have wrote that. I would not have sent out an email. There's no need to send out an email to talk about the hiring process of someone that hasn't been hired. Um, if you wanted to talk about it, because they were inundated with with probably, gosh, judging from our message board, he was probably inundated with complaints I, from more important people than he's ever been inundated with in his life. Right? It's it's that's it's up there. Um, I believe Jack Schwarberg could have handled. A press conference of 15 minutes much easier than and it would have come across better than the email did especially the beginning and the end which were just totally useless um it's like a monday musing gone wrong at the end i uh the key though is uh it, no matter how many technicalities or semantics are involved is they were saying they were willing to pay the buyout and about to pay the buyout and unfortunately that's too late to say that because perception is they were never going to pay the buyout and you're not going to convince that many people that you were um i guess i'm glad to hear they would pay the buyout marcus freeman certainly made it clear today he felt that, that they would pay the buyout and that he is supported but i did not expect any different words from coach freeman today um it's amazing it got to this over probably i still believe and we heard this originally a negotiation they would have liked to have kept quiet about the buyout I know that Marcus Freeman had a very good point today about you bring your top recruits to cool things on campus. This is why he had Andy Ludwig come to the hockey game, just like he would bring a five-star recruit to the hockey game. It all added up to being a show of clearly they wanted Andy Ludwig. The fan base gets engaged in Andy Ludwig and clearly they're not getting Andy Ludwig for whatever reason. And I think that's, that's what really is the issue that defined last week, but they can't let it define any more weeks. It was, a, there's a million places you could go with this. I mean, one of them is worth noting that I think before two weeks ago, Andy Ludwig was just another offense coordinator at just another school. Um, and then somehow he turned into Urban Meyer. So look, I get it. He's really talented. And I think he would have been a, a valuable addition on paper to the staff. Um, I thought that Jack Swarbrick's letter and sort of the pushback from Notre Dame really was interesting in the sense of like, 
all right, you're you're telling me that you know you would have written the three million dollar check uh, or whatever the buyout would have been at the end of the day. Um, you know the the top ten assistant coaching salaries, which I think we've all talked about and written about. Like Notre Dame has really modernized in that market. I think in the since the Mike Elko departure, um, you know whether it be backing Brian Kelly to hire Marcus Freeman or backing Marcus Freeman to retain Tommy Reese and Matt Bayless, like Notre Dame will pay, um, coaching salaries. I don't, that that's not news. Um, but it's, you know, good to see Swarbrick sort of put that in writing. Um, and then ultimately getting to Jared Parker, who I think, you know, when he it sort of got lost when he got hired the first time that that was a, that was Marcus Freeman making a head coach's decision over the offensive coordinator who was Reese at the time. Um, so that that's how much Freeman values Parker. Um, you know, he did not defer to an offensive coordinator who I think probably expected to be deferred to a year ago um, when that tight ends job was open. So it's um, it's it's somebody that Freeman trusts 100% without reservation. Um, and while that wasn't the first box that I thought was going to get checked in terms of the offensive coordinator resumes, it's a pretty damn important one. And so they like this, at the end of the day, this program is so much more Marcus Freeman's program than it was two weeks ago. And I, that can be a positive moving forward, but it's definitely worth acknowledging is like, this is Marcus Freeman's show right now. I totally agree about the email. I mean, I, and I especially, you don't you don't open when when the masses are upset you don't open with something trite because that's immediately going to be panned uh and that's how it started out i don't i don't want to dwell on that other than i mean i agree with you guys as far as that is concerned i i took note of the the only bold uh words in the entire statement and those were that is not and never was the case and that was in reference to Notre Dame being unwilling to pay the buyout. Marcus Freeman said the same thing today. So uh, for everybody that has been clinging to that as a lie, I, I mean, I guess you, you will have to accept the fact then that or or are stating that Marcus Freeman and Jack Swarbrick are both lying about that. Uh, I don't think that that's true. I, you know, when I, I, my, my situation on Thursday was I always write a column. I had a column written and was about ready to, to, to publish it when the news of Notre Dame's letter was going out. And that of course changed everything. I, I understood why Notre Dame wouldn't have wanted to pay a buyout with Andy Ludwig because it would have cost them. I mean, you, you can play with numbers between him and Jim Harding. It would have been, you know, about $7 million, which is more than what Marcus Freeman makes by himself. So Andy Ludwig's the payout, not not his salary, but the payout for Andy Ludwig would be somewhat in the vicinity of what you're paying Marcus Freeman, which I thought was exorbitant. But Norden comes out and says, hey, we were willing to pay it, which surprised me too. I was a little surprised today that Marcus Freeman, I mean, he flat out admitted that Colin Klein and Andy Ludwig were the first, the first two choices for Notre Dame. Um, and uh, Klein came and went and Ludwig came and went and those ended up resolving themselves in different ways. Um, And I think this is an important point for the fan base. They were going out 
outside the box. They were going to change things. There were going to be more changes. I mean, you don't even need to change terminology anymore with Jared Parker. It has nothing to do with how well he's going to do. But Notre Dame was going outside the box and going to change things. And when it didn't work out, the perception is they immediately decided to circle the wagons and not change things, right? If you're, yeah. if you're looking from the outside, that is exactly what happened. That's that's exactly what it looks like. Uh, but again, like so many things that we've right. seen since last week, what it looks like isn't necessarily correct. What what Nordame has in Jared Parker, and by the way, I think everybody uh, thinks that he won the the press conference for whatever that is worth. His introduction as as offensive coordinator today, thought he did a good job. He showed enthusiasm. He sounded motivating. He explained uh, partly because of your question, Pete Sampson, about his background explain the multiplicity of offenses that he's been involved with, which is what I think people want when they want an outside hire. But mm -hmm. again, I've been in, I've been in coaching on a much lower level in which, yes, you do want people around you that you trust that you've been to war with, that you're confident with, that you feel have your back. Those are all things. Of course, every coach wants that. So it's a fine line. It's a balancing between my old phrase is strength of weak ties where you get ideas from other places with new coaches, but you also want people that you're comfortable with and, and, and not so much comfortable with, but somebody that, you know, you can go to war with. And when things get difficult, you know, that he'll hold up. And that's where Marcus Freeman's perspective on Jared Parker. He was with him at Purdue when Parker at a very young age was placed in uh, an interim head coaching position. They went, Oh, and six. And Marcus Freeman saw how he reacted to that. So, you know, I mean, I'm really defensive about that kind of thing because the notion of just hiring people that you don't know, coaches don't generally do that. It's a good idea to do it when you have the opportunity. But the thing that Jared Parker brings is, I mean, he listed all the various offenses that he's had exposure to. So that's all part of the, the going outside of the house um, you know, to get, to get other ideas. So anyway, I thought he did a good job today. I understand where Marcus Freeman is coming from here. The notion that they immediately went in house, as you said, Tim, they didn't know they went to, I mean, Marcus Freeman admitted they, they had two other candidates mm -hmm. that they chose first. And for various reasons, I mean, I think, I think Klein, Klein is different in that he's, he's younger. He played at Kansas state. And I, I think that became a difficult, uh, situation for him. Lund Ludwig, look, the timing of, of Notre Dame's offer for the buyout and the contract and all that, there's some of those things that we aren't truly ever going to know exactly how it all worked out. But bottom line is, and this is my perspective of being a reporter for 41 years, Jared Parker's the offensive coordinator now. All that stuff, we've, we've, we've gone over it, we've blamed, we've pointed the finger and, and it's over. And, and so to keep going back to that, which I know we will, because anytime Jared Parker struggles, um, you know, some of this stuff is going to come up and then we'll deal with it then as it does. But um, I don't know. He had a good press conference. He's one and all with press conferences. We'll see how he is when, uh, when the game planning and, and, and play calling come up now in the process of all this, as this segment one continues on and on and on, Harry Heastan stepped down as, <clears throat> as offensive line coach <clears throat> uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, which I made the comment as I looked at my phone and saw it that Harry's getting a good laugh because the media, he knows all the media is six beers into their Super Bowl day. And 
and unprepared to write about his retirement. Uh, so Notre Dame has an offensive line coach to replace. They haven't they haven't announced Gino Gadouli as as the quarterbacks coach, but he will be the next quarterbacks coach. Uh, what what <laughs> Tim? What do you want to add uh, with regard to to those guys? I personally think the Gadouli uh, future signing or wherever they are in that that process is a really good one. Anyone that can take the 11th rated player in, in the Cincinnati class of whatever class that was 2018 or whatever, um, and turn him into a fifth round draft pick must've done something right, which is what Gadouli did, uh, with Desmond Ritter. Yeah. I was going to ask this question today because I, I kind of disagree with the premise that your offensive coordinator has to be a quarterback's coach. Um, First of all, people like Chip Long when he was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, right? And Jared Parker brought up, it was either Parker or Freeman brought up Mike Denbrock. Uh, it's, Parker, I think, put a bow on it today when he said, uh, my role at the quarterback is going to be exhaustive role with the quarterback like it is with every other position. But when it comes down to something technical, I leave that to the professional. And that makes total sense to me. It's not like Tommy Reese didn't coach Michael Mayer because he's not a tight ends coach. I think it's I don't I don't think there's a problem with your quarterback coach not being your offensive coordinator in college or pro football as long as you have a good offensive coordinator. That I, I found that a strange. It seemed like it was people were looking for a something to complain about. In that yeah, it's, I, I mean it worked with Reese and Long, right? I mean yeah. I don't think anyone would point to that and be like, well, that was a failed experiment of division of labor. I I think what I was one of the things that early on when I was told like, okay, these are the boxes Marcus Freeman wants to check quarterback development was really high on that list. Um, but you just need a quarterback coach. Yeah. Which doesn't what, yeah. But I, it was told me as like, as I, as he looks for an offensive coordinator, this is a box to check. I think it reasonable to assume that was, he's checking it with the offensive coordinator, not with a quarterbacks coach and your OC is your tight ends coach, but that works yeah, too. It's just, it's just a different way of looking at things. Tim, on the, on the flip side, I don't understand people that say that the quarterback coach should not be the offensive coordinator. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, I, don't, I just don't think it matters that much either way. I think you have a good quarterbacks coach and a good offensive coordinator. It works out either way. Yeah, I know, but 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 we've heard the sentiment that there should be a separate coach for the quarterbacks oh, okay. and a separate coach really? for the offensive coordinator. And I don't, I don't, I can't agree with that either because, the, I mean, the coordinator is naturally going to work with the quarterback, and if he's the quarterback's coach, I don't see. Again, I do think that that is a nitpicky thing where we can find something at fault with every scenario that that there is. Now, uh, real quickly, finishing up this segment. We're not going to get into candidates for the offensive line job. You have to be a subscriber to Irish Illustrator right now to get that information from us here. But we, we Tom Lloyd, we put out a list of 17 guys. That's probably outrageous. It is outrageous. Well, Parker uh, said it's two pages long today. Yeah. He, did. he did. That's true. He did say that. So I think 17 qualifies as it's two pages, whatever that breakdown is. Um, Chris Watt is on staff. I think he's ready. Nobody else does. I think, well, I shouldn't say nobody. I think Nordheim's former offensive line coach probably believes that he is as well. Um, but I don't think it's going to be Chris Watt. I think it's going to be somebody from the other 16 names on Irish Illustrated's list. What do you, what do you guys think? I would agree. Um, I don't have all 16 of your names committed to memory, but I would, I would think that Watt was 
probably would be a, a candidate later in his career for this kind of thing, you know, which hopefully for should be a long career coaching offensive lineman. Um, you know, if we got into a weird world where Notre Dame's former offensive line coach stayed on as uh, offensive line analyst or some kind of senior analyst, then maybe I'd feel a little differently, but that, that seems frankly a little bit complicated uh, to get to that point. Yeah. It's, that seems like that's the bridge far as we say, I think we're if it's going to be Chris it, Watt, he could, yeah, if it's going to be Chris Watt, he can, uh, Harry, he stand will live nearby and he can ask Harry, he stand all the questions he wants. I don't think you need to have Harry, he stand overseeing things at this point anymore. Uh, Boy, Chris Watt probably now Notre Dame better not hire because of this, but Chris Watt sure falls into the unfortunate category of, oh, here's another guy they just promote from within because that would not have been the case. That would not have been the case if they hired Colin Klein and Chris Watt got promoted. Nobody would have nobody would have been that upset about it. Obviously, Ludwig would have you know been bringing Harding, we assume, but that would be perception. Uh, I think Chris Watt will one day be a really good offensive line coach. I go back to what we asked on this podcast when I did not think it would be Parker one week ago when we thought it would be Ludwig. Have people been asking to interview Jared Parker for offensive coordinator positions at a peer level of Notre Dame? I didn't think they had been. Pete said, not necessarily a peer level, but you said you, you had heard there were some inquiries about Jared Parker. Yeah, as an offensive and I don't know as an OC, like full-on OC, but I know that he is thought very highly of by James Franklin and Penn State. And he I go to that with, Watt, with Chris Watt. I go to that too. Are a lot of people looking for Chris Watt to be their offensive line coach that are not at a group of five but, but i don't know that that's legitimate criteria because only the people within those coaches camps would actually know for sure it's but, not but, but there's it, there's a million there's criteria there's more course. than one it's not criterion right. it's criteria so it's of course of course segment two coming up burning up the boards when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question is from jbolt250. Why do you think Jack Swarbrick felt compelled to address the fan base via email? I'm not a fan that sides with the sky is falling segment, but I just don't understand what Swarbrick was trying to accomplish that many days post blow up. Seems like something could have been stated within hours of Pete Thamel's tweet if they wanted to do damage control. Yeah, um, I think we all, in retrospect, look at that and say that would have been the best course of action is to let it die. I think the volume of outcry may have had something to do with it. And I also think that as I referenced the bold comment, that is not and never was the case about the buyout. Um, you know, I, I, I just think that he felt that that real, that needed to be stated because that was the main accusation yeah. against Notre Dame in retrospect. Yeah, certainly. And I don't think like some people misinterpreted my comment about, I don't think Pete Thamel did anything wrong. I wasn't suggesting that he did, but he used the word obstacle and obstacle was a word that could cover a lot of different scenarios. And, and, and most people interpreted that as, Oh, Notre Dame said, they're not going to spend the money. And so it took off from there. But, and I also think that the timing 
I don't really want to get into that, but there was another, there was another timing issue that contributed to uh, putting the email out three days later. Yeah, I, it was, I was a little surprised. Um, Cause I mean, Sorg doesn't really respond to a whole lot of stuff. Um, I mean, I think especially at this stage, like he's kind of, I don't want to say insulated, but I'm not really sure what other word to use here. Um, above, it? Above. above it. Yeah. That'd be two words, yeah. but I think those are probably better than my one. Um, yeah. So I, I was a little surprised by that. Um, I mean, the last paragraph, I think we've all had tweets and we enter them in and you're like, should I tweet that? Usually the answer is no. Um, maybe not have the fundraising call at the end, but I mean, I get it. I thought the paragraphs two and three, I think were the ones that had the, the most meat in them. And look, it's, I think their name comes out of this uh, with a very, very clear, we not, we will do whatever it takes to win, but let there be no doubt whatsoever um, that they will do everything in their power to get there. Um, you know, when, I mean, if Marcus I can... Freeman even mentioned NIL today, which I was like, all right, um, what's maybe something's different here. I don't know. If I could interject, I think, I think what they're saying is we will do, everything in our power when it comes to hiring assistant coaches and paying that paying footing the bill for that. Yeah. Now I saw somebody say, well, I think it was on Twitter. Well, Nordin, I think it was actually in response to your tweet today, Pete, about, you know, Notre Dame will do everything in their power. Well, no, Notre Dame doesn't play NIL like everybody else does. Notre Dame mm -hmm. doesn't treat it you know, like this massive acquisition, acquisition fee. I'm sorry, folks, but you're just going to have to, if you're going to be a Notre Dame fan, there's some things you're going to have to accept about Notre Dame. <laughs> I, I just, I, that's why sometimes I don't, I don't understand how some people become Notre Dame fans when I hear their attitude about how Notre Dame conducts their business. I realize that they've had ground to make up and will always have ground to make up, but there is a, 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 a certain quaintness about Notre Dame that's never, ever, ever going to go away. Not in my lifetime. Of course, my lifetime is a little bit more limited than most, but wow. uh, the future anyway. But uh, this conversation took a dark taking turn. a morbid turn. Yeah, a dark wow. turn. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean it that way. I said I responded to, a, uh, you know, about what well, these are dark. Notre Dame hasn't won a national title in 35 years. When is our agony going to come to an end? And I'm like, I've never suffered any agony in the last 35 years. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't quite get that, but that's because I have a different perspective on Notre Dame. For me, Notre Dame is more than Notre Dame football. And I don't expect everybody to look at it that way. But a lot of people from my generation that grew up following Notre Dame football understood that Notre Dame and Notre Dame football, while two different things, and while Notre Dame becoming famous because of Notre Dame football, one can't be without the other because of of the, of the way it all began at Notre Dame. That's kind of convoluted. I'll let it go with that. Related questions here from Trevito and NDFB. Did Freeman choose Jared Parker in part because of Notre Dame's administration's failure to back it with Andy Ludwig? I think we kind of walked over this one already. And if the Ludwig situation was handled more privately, do you think the hiring process would have included a couple more candidates and possibly ended differently? I, that's a good question. 
Well, and I think the first the first one's difficult to answer. I mean, would would Marcus Freeman? He looked at Jared Parker. He talked to Jared Parker. He he professed today that he loved the way the interview was going so so much that he had already made up his mind before the interview was over. Uh, but in 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 light of what happened with Klein and Ludwig, and then not knowing how Marcus Freeman viewed the remaining candidates. That may have had, yeah. I mean, that may said, you know what? I'm going to go with Parker. I'm a, I'm going to interview Parker. It went well, and so he pulled the trigger on that. Um, I thought he would. I thought he would like when. Remember when I said I don't think that when Ludwig fell through that I didn't think he was going to pick Jared Parker. I thought he was going to continue his outside search at least one more time, and he didn't. He went with Parker. Yeah, I, I think I've sort of felt the way you do on that one, Priester, about like this continuing on a little bit. Um, I mean, if the process was handled more privately, I, I think that the the vibes or the sentiment or like fan reaction would have been a lot different. Um, you know, Marcus was pretty upfront, like that he would do the hockey game all over again, but it, it certainly it set like that turned the temperature up in the room. That's probably how I would describe that moment is like it set expectations that, a high level where suddenly Andy Lugwood would people forgot that they didn't know who he was two weeks earlier. Cause it was like, Holy crap, this is the guy. Um, I watched the USC games last year. They were incredible. I want Notre Dame to score 90 points and gain a thousand ninety yards uh, in two games. So yeah, I think that the, the process definitely um, the public sort of perception of it, I think just sort of churned up the stakes and the expectation on it, if that makes sense, which no, I, I it doesn't really have anything to do with the outcome, right? Like Jared, right. it Those doesn't have any impact on Jared Parker. It should, it shouldn't have any impact on Jared Parker. I don't know if it would have ended differently, but I think it would have been handled differently. The hiring process. I think there would have been more, more people interviewed. I yeah. think even after liking the Jared Parker interview and thinking, I want that guy. If no one knew the Ludwig and Klein situations happened, if they never thought anybody had an offer, let's put it that way. It's kind of hard to hide the planes landing nowadays, but I think it could have been, they probably would have been Hey, why don't we finish this round of interviews and go from there? Well, I think also with Ludwig, like what I'm sure you guys were hearing is what I was hearing. is like by Saturday, they felt like this was happening. Yeah. Um, which I, which I, I was never told with Klein at all. Um, that was just, that was an interview. That was a second interview. It went okay or went well in some, some aspects, but the Ludwig interview was totally different uh, a, in terms of how Notre felt about it. I had a film review ready on Colin Klein, so we it, it had gone a little bit further for us. On, <laughs> okay, you should run that. You should run well, that. Was, That'd be good. Uh, I still have it too. If you want to, yeah. actually, if I you was could email to, that to me. That'd be great. I was going to use excerpts from it in last week's Thursday Thoughts before last week's Thursday Thoughts were blown apart. Um. In fact, I even had, uh, uh, I actually had something else that I will put in this week that, that I had for last week. But uh, yeah, I mean, I do think the process probably goes on a little bit further if it's yeah. all un under wraps, but it was anything but but under wraps. Question from ND5201. Please provide more context from Jack Swarbrick's email. He seems to have indicated that the buyout was an obstacle, but it could have been easily overcome. Then why wasn't it? What really happened? I'm more confused now than I was before. Pete, I mean, wanna... our time, we, we've talked about it. Our timeline is never going to be 100% accurate. And no. It's going to be impossible to really know. I mean, the context you're looking for, I think, in the question is 
once they were willing to pay, Andy Ludwig had talked to people he needed to talk to, and he was less willing to come. And the, yeah. the obstacle, the, the, the reference to the obstacle from Notre Dame's perspective was that the contract that they're looking at doesn't seem right to them. It's not the right kind. It's not what was proposed to them. And so they wanted clarification to the, uh, that was their obstacle. That's their perspective. I mean, as someone who has Andy Ludwig's contract on my laptop in front of me, like the money he's being paid there and the compensation due to him, that's a legit obstacle because it is a lot of money. Um, He is very well compensated and very well regarded at Utah. Um, So, I mean, I think there's a bunch of obstacles. It's the buyout is an obstacle. How much Ludwig is already making is an obstacle. The fact that Ludwig is from Utah and is a West Coast guy and has family to take care of in Utah. That's an obstacle. So I think one of the things that I probably undersold in the course of last week is Andy Ludwig's desire to just stay at Utah. Um, And I know some people will take that as like the Notre Dame job was too big for him or he wasn't willing to take a risk or, or whatever. But um, cause I, I don't think a lot of people, when we talk about recruiting, not a lot of people are choosing Utah over Notre Dame and recruiting. Um, but this, that's why this isn't really a recruitment. Like Andy Ludwig's entire life has been out there. Um, so to uproot it and move to Northern Indiana is, it's not an uncomplicated decision. Being from, being from and we've found this out through the years, being from Utah is different than being from a lot of other states. It just is. That's what Shaq and Charles Barkley said on the broadcast. I heard. Did you see that on Twitter? <laughs> they talked about their time when they were players. He goes, There's just nothing to do here. These people are all saints. They're... <laughs> Shaq said he always used to get, he set a record for room service in Salt Lake City. It's amazing. <laughs> they can get away with a lot of things. Uh, I didn't watch a second of that game, thank God, but I found that tweet very funny. That's that's good. Next from MP Vahalik or Vahalik. How important is play calling experience for coordinator hires? It was pretty important about a week ago, but is it overrated compared to the ability to teach and recruit? I don't, I mean, I don't think you can, I don't think you can say it's overrated when you have to be the guy calling the plays under pressure yeah. one after another, right after another play calling experience think- is less important than being a great play caller. How's that? You could be a young, great play caller too. Well, you can be, um, but I would think that that's hard to do. I would think that it's a, there's a trial and error involved with play calling that you really learn from your successes, but especially your mistakes. Um, you know, and I tried to get, tried to work through the weeds with Jared Parker today about what he called and what he didn't. What we absolutely know he called was red zone. And he was really good at that. Like took them from 109th to 37th in two years. Um, you know, exactly what he called the, the rest of the two years. I mean, we can get into, you know, I can, I, and I did it. I can go the, the, the second half of his second year, but we're not, yeah, but we're not, but again, it's so convoluted. And that's why I suggested, you know, (laughs) doesn't Neil Brown, the head coach of West Virginia get some of the blame for this? I mean, they don't, how many different people were calling plays over the course of those two years? Right. I mean, I mean, my understanding from people around West Virginia is that Parker started calling plays after a bye week in 2011, 2021 
against T and the first game was against TCU. Second game was against Iowa state um, that Neil Brown thought very highly of him, but was got some pressure to move in a different direction offensively. Um, so the, the whole like demotion, when he called plays, when he didn't call plays, I'm not really sure has a whole lot of weight, but I mean, it's, I tweeted this out last week. I think it made it over to your message board. Power five offensive coordinator experience of Notre Dame's last eight offensive coordinators. Jared Parker had two seasons. Tommy Reese had one game. Chip Long, Mike Sanford, Mike Denbrock, Chuck Martin, Charlie Molnar, Mike Haywood all had zero. So as power five conference as powerful, but from that group, Chip Long had one season at Memphis. Mike Sanford had one season at Boise State. The rest of them are still zeros, except for Molnar, who had like six at Kent State and Illinois State. Like, just not. <laughs> I was I was shocked when I started looking at that about how little experience Notre Dame's OCs have had as play callers before they showed up. That's indisputable. So the answer. The answer is both and all on this podcast, but I have to tell you, if you don't have good players and the ability to teach them, there are not that many good plays to call. So recruiting and the ability to teach is a little bit more important. If you don't, you cannot call great plays for bad players that you haven't been able to teach. Well, that's not a thing. None of that's possible. No, it's very true. And I had some bite back about the two games that he called plays Parker called plays in Oklahoma state was like, sixth in the country in total defense and Notre Dame, you know, Tommy Reese had a field day against them in a bowl game and another, another number three. Well, you know, he struggled against them. Well, so did everybody else. That's why they're ranked number six and number three in scoring defense in the country. I mean, I get it, but you can, and then you also have to take what it was the quarterback hurt Were the two of the offensive linemen hurt. I mean, you need, you need more details than just the final score and the defense's ranking. But, you know, I mean, you can you can dig as deep as you want or as shallow as you want. And if you dig shallow, you don't get a you don't necessarily get a whole lot of answers. But my whole point is Jared Parker's the offensive coordinator now, man. There isn't we can't there's nothing we can do about about that now. Let's see. Let's see how he does moving forward. And he, he had a good day today. We can all agree with that. Right. He had a good day today. He won the yes. press conference. It was the first win Notre Dame had this offseason after totally dominating the offseason last year, which <laughs> brought them to an 0 2 start. Question from TMC near as Jared Parker takes over as the offensive coordinator. What are the immediate objectives you see for him as we approach spring ball? I had Sam a Hartman, how's it going? Yeah, <laughs> I had a few questions. Just going to say Sam Hartman. Yeah. Yeah. I had a few questions. I had a few questions answered today. I, I, as soon as they hired him, I also thought, how far away are you going to get from the Tommy Reese offense in year one when you're returning the personnel, the terminology, and your offensive line and running backs and quarterback and tight end are better than your wide receivers? That was a big selling I, point. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah, the enhancement he can make. So I guess the immediate objective I want to see for him is how the wide receivers have developed. Since we saw them last, we know we like them a lot more than we did at this point last year. Where Tobias Merriweather stands, if one of the, well, this won't be right away, but if one of the freshmen is a guy that will help more than Tobias Merriweather did, and if Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas kept taking the next steps, because I certainly like the offensive line, the running backs, and the quarterback is simply much better than the quarterback was either one of them last year. Yeah, I would, I would agree with all that. Um, you know, Marcus Freeman said today, run first approach, uh, but it's Parker's playbook. 
that I don't think it's going to be a ton different than last year, other than maybe the percentages of 12 personnel versus 11 personnel swing more towards 11. But I think even Parker referenced today in sort of the variety of playbooks he's been in, I, I don't <laughs> expect the Rams going to start running 10 personnel. Um, they're not built to do that. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to go that way either. So I, I think Parker, Parker seems similar to Reese in this way that he seems like a players over plays coach. Um, and that should be the, that should be the thing you have. That has to be number one on your to-do list for any OC anywhere. But, um, that was good to hear. I think that's Parker's vibe moving forward. And Jared Parker won't get the full approval of Notre Dame fans until he succeeds in 2024, because you know, with Sam Hartman here, if they have a good year offensively, some credit is going to be taken away from Jared Parker because the quarterback that he has, I do want to, I want to fight back about this offensive line thing. Notre Dame has two great tackles and a center that, that, that worked out pretty well this year. They don't have starting guards. And until they get starting guards nailed down playing well, they're going to struggle on the offensive line. You can't, yeah, you, you can't how have often, a missing link. How much do you need, though, Tim? Like, I, I know that they won't be as good okay, because they don't have – it's like when they lost – all right, I hate to bring this up all the time. If, it's if, like when they lost Rob Kerr's from the basketball team and they couldn't what possibly – take Zeke Carell from 2021 and put him at guard in 2023 and he plays like that? How much success are you going to have with your offensive line? I guess there's other teams that lost two guards is my point, right? Would you rather lose two guards, right. Josh Lug and Jerry? I'd rather lose. I know it's, it's hard to lose a, Patterson, but you have two possible I would rather have. It's not a question. What do you, I'm not talking about what you'd rather have. Yeah. You'd rather have your tackles back, but that's not the point. If there's a missing link in the offensive line, like there was in 2021 at the start of the season at left guard, your offensive line is going to struggle. Yeah. Maybe that guy yeah. wouldn't have started at left guard if Harry Houston was his coach. Right. Yeah. I think that the, the <laughs> coaching and teaching will be a lot better. Um, whoever they hire than it was back then, you know, yeah, that was, that was a mess. And also Pete to your 12 personnel thing, this has to be pointed out. Mathematically speaking, they will without a doubt, 100% bet all the money in the world run less 12 personnel because the tight end never came off the field last year named Michael Mayer. And you have to take your tight end off the field occasionally. If he's not Michael Mayer. Question from Kay Beasley. A few podcasts ago, you mentioned that the new offensive coordinator would need the highest recruiting skills. How do you place Coach Parker as an offensive coordinator? Do you envision he will target a different skill set, such as moving away from multiple tight end sets or changing size slash style of certain positions? Uh, the second part, I don't know when Notre Dame moves away from multiple tight end sets, except recruiting harder at the wide receiver skill position player. So if it becomes natural, then you move away from multiple tight end sets, but Notre Dame should always be able to get good tight ends in cycles and multiple tight end sets have been hard to guard in sports and pro football as well for a long time. Now, if all three of these receivers that just came in and Tobias Merriweather are outstanding next year, they're going to move away from multiple tight end sets. Yeah. Then we'll see 11 personnel. Yeah. I don't know about 10, right, Pete? I, no. You'd, have to, you'd really have to, I, I, you know, I would imagine on occasion, 
you could you could go to 10 if you really develop your receivers, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. They, when's they, I mean, when's the last time Notre Dame had a number no. three receiver where you're like, man, they can't guard that guy? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. But I definitely, I mean, I agree that we could see more 11 with the development of the 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 whiteout core, which we expect that to be a better group this year overall than last year. Question from Jay Rick 68. After the success of Mike Mickens and Brian Mason as coaches with Cincinnati slash Freeman ties, what should we expect from Gino Guadulli? Do you think he could one day be a coordinator? It seems all he is lacking for their ideal candidate is experience as a play caller. I don't know if Jay Rick 68, I mean, he was a play caller last year, correct guys? Yes, but yes. He just, that's yes. still that goes to the Pete Sampson one year of experience as a play caller list. Okay, again, yep. Uh, I just don't know if he has much to do with. I I get the question. That he's he's familiar with Mickens, familiar with Mason, so those guys have worked out. Maybe this should work out as well. But I they're just different people to me. Yeah, um, I don't see I don't see the connection there. I guess Marcus Freeman trusts him is the connection, but I still don't, I, I can't speak intelligently on if, if, if he should remember Marcus Freeman said today, I'd like to ask Freeman in 10 years because <laughs> he definitely thought of someone when he said, you want to hire guys you've worked with in the past. And you think to yourself while you're working with him, man, I hope I work with that guy again someday. And then he goes as an aside and there's some guys you think, man, I don't want to work with that guy someday. I wonder if he actually <laughs> thought of somebody when he brought I bet that he up. Did. I bet he did. <laughs> I yeah. Bet he did yeah. I feel like he did too. Um, yeah. That um, I, I know that this is like a Marcus Freeman question, but I think it could be answered in sort of like a Luke Fickle context. Like the coaching staffs that they had at Cincinnati were really freaking good, which is why Cincinnati was really freaking good. Um, so if you're going to be plucking guys from that staff, I'm I am all for that. Um, the relationships are important, but the proof of concept and the games that they won are just as important. And they definitely have that on the resume. Question from Irish cub fan is the lack of new information on the offensive line coach, a product of how poorly and publicly the offensive coordinator search went. This list has been out for two days. I mean, like two days, I think. I mean, maybe three. I don't want it to go that fast. The offensive line coach information and hiring. I don't want it to go super fast. No, but my my like we we've oh the lack of new information. I'm I'm saying yeah, I don't think we, there's a lot become, of new information. We've become accustomed to, and Irish Illustrated's significantly significantly part of the reason to to where we these coaching hires are played out in a public forum. And I mean, generally speaking, teams don't want that to happen. So, I mean, I think the expectation is that this is all supposed to be out in the open and we know who's coming in and who's flying in and who's going out. Uh, but the list was just put out. It'll happen in time. 17 guys were on our list and uh, Jared Parker said it was a two page list. So it's probably going to take a little bit of time. I'm not sure that every time there's a coaching opening that we will be able to provide a blow by blow analysis of, of who Notre Dame is, is talking to and who's coming in and out every time. No, I, I don't think these things are related at all. Um, 
but I also think like based on the hires that they've made so far, there should be, should be a pretty good list of guys that they've worked with in the past. Um, you know, uh, Daryl Funk at BYU would be one of them. Um, the guy they worked with in the past at Purdue, like there are options out there that have some really good experience. And like, I've said this a million times, offensive line coach that of all the positions, that's the one I need to be my best teacher. If I'm hiring, uh, and I'm a head coach. Final questions, a three-parter for Marvelous Marv, one for each of us. Priester, let's start with you because of the irony of the timing. Tim Priester, was the famous story about Lou Holtz's initial players meeting where he told Chuck Lanza to sit straight up and get his feet off the chair in front of him true? The irony is that I've had probably a dozen players, teammates through the years say, oh yeah, it was Lanza, it was Lanza, it was Lanza. And uh, I'm working on a project and I happened to talk to Chuck Lanza Friday. And that's the actually, <laughs> I know that's actually the first time I've talked to Chuck Lanza since he left Notre Dame. He's a great guy. And we, we enjoyed our conversation and no, it's absolutely true. And he said, he I, Holtz actually yelled at him twice. Cause he kind of, he didn't have his feet on. It's a little auditorium between what used to be the football office and the basketball office uh, where we, where we gather for post-game basketball now. Uh, and, and so he Lanza was in the front row and he didn't have his feet on the back of a chair. He had it on the feet on the stage and he was kind of slouching down into his chair and, uh, and Holtz actually yelled at him twice <laughs> and uh, it caught everybody's attention enough that everybody, um, you know, remembers, Oh yeah, it was definitely Lanza. And he, he claimed it. He definitely claimed it too, but uh, yeah, funny little story that's uh, made its way through all the years. Next one's for me, Tim O. Did your brother John cover Notre Dame while Bob Davy was coach? And if so, what did he think of him as an effective coach? I mostly had talked to John about, I know he and Bob Davy were close, actually. Um, I don't know if he, I mean, John co- John was there for uh, Lou Holtz too. So if you go from Lou Holtz to covering Lou Holtz to covering Bob Davy, your look at your view of him as an effective coach is automatically going to be diminished, of course. I would venture a guess he felt Davey was a better football coach than Willingham and Weiss. However, that is a guess. Um, and I think he thought higher of Davey than I did as a graduating college student who was not immersed in the football program like you and uh, like he and Tim Priester and, and others. But I don't think he looked poorly upon Bob Davey as a coach. Yeah. And I can still hear John O'Malley's voice imitating Lou Holtz. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know he liked Lou Holtz as a coach. That, that's for yeah. sure. So that was actually it was John O'Malley imitating Lou Holtz talking about me, yeah. <laughs> but in a positive way. <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah, I do remember I'm a sure. story that my brother, my brother, uh, nudge hit the podium. My brother's a big guy, and he hit the podium, and Lou Holtz dropped like a little curse word and something to John like you know what are you trying to kill me or something up here because the they obviously there were little podiums back then and you could put your recorder on there but yeah it's I heard a lot of Lou Holtz imitations and the third question for Pete Sampson is uh, please rank the following coaches in terms of if you were to hire them who would be first who would be second who would be third Charlie Uh, Tyrell Willingham Bob Davey well, I was only here for the final year of Bob Davey, so he would definitely not be first because um, I was my entire impression of him was based on 2001. Um, I honestly, if I was an AD, I probably would have hired Tyrone William first, um, just in terms of head coaching experience. 
obviously didn't work out. Um, Weiss would be second and Davey would be third. Although it's like Davey in a lot of ways was like, I don't want to say he was like Marcus Freeman, but like he was the defensive coordinator. You want to keep something going, all of that. Um, I could see why he would have been appealing at the time, but, um, again, like my first impression of him was not, not ideal. All right, that's it today for Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back next week. We'll talk more. Obviously, uh, another seven days unfolding with the offensive line search, and by then we probably should have an official announcement with Gino Guadulli as Notre Dame's quarterbacks coach, and I'm sure there'll be a few other things that pop up between now and next Monday. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at doodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.